Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. This episode, we're going to review Jane's Addiction's 2003 album, Strays. Lou, give us a quick Jane's Addiction recap and where you come in with Strays. Well, I came into Jane's Addiction right after Nothing Shocking, and that was my favorite album at the time until I bought Ritual De Lo Habitual, and then I was just a super fan after that. I think we went over this. Yeah. Um, I got the first one a little, that was a little harder to get, and uh, it was equally as awesome in another way. So um, when they broke up at the height of their fame, I was devastated. Luckily, I had bands like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, picking up the slack, you know, in their absence, then Kiss releasing their best album to date, and then the reunion distract me until rumors of a Jane's Addiction started bubbling around 97. They did a tour, they, they released Kettle Whistle, the Outtakes album, and then they had a relapse tour with Flea. And um, I got really excited, but then nothing, nothing ever came of it. So not until the new millennium in 2003 would they resurface with Strays in a new Lollapalooza tour. Which, besides head, uh, Jane's, was headlining Audio Slave, Incubus, Queens of the Stone Age, A Perfect Circle, The Donnas, it was a, a shitload of other bands that I saw that night. Um, Garden State Art Center, now known as PNC Art Center in Holmdale, New Jersey. I was fucking stoked. And I ran out and bought the CD on release day at midnight. I think that's where I come in with this album. Yeah, all right. We've already covered the Jane's Addiction albums, Nothing Shocking and Ritual De Lo Habitual on the podcast. So to recap, I got turned on to Jane's by a co-worker friend of mine. And as a result, I got the first live album and the two studio albums on CD. I got them basically all at the same time and I dig them all. But by the time I got into them, the band had already been broken up for years. So I didn't think much about them. And when the first reunion happened, like you said, 97 with Flea, I ignored it. They were far off my radar by then. I was probably knee-deep in grunge by then. And it was the same for this album. When it came out, I was like, oh yeah, those guys. Yeah, that's cool. I just never bought this record. And I never listened to it until about a month and a half ago in preparation for this podcast. So this is all new to me. Ah. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record according to Wikipedia. Strays is the third studio album by American rock band Jane's Addiction, released on July 22, 2003 on Capitol Records. It was produced by Bob Ezrin and Brian Virtue and was recorded from 2002 to 2003 at Henson Recording Studios, Hollywood, California. It reached number four on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got... Perry Farrell on lead vocals and programming, Dave Navarro on guitars and piano, Stephen Perkins on drums and percussion, and Chris Cheney on bass guitar. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. Okay, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start off with True Nature, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Martin Lenoble.
What do you think, Lou? Well, it sounds like somebody swishing mouthwash around and he's stuck the mic on his cheek or, or God knows something else. <laughs> Some hillbilly with a big saw wiggling it back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah, here we go. Ballsy bottom end riffage from Navarro with Cheney doing his thing. It's not Eric Avery, but it ain't trying to be. Layered Navarros crowd the sonic space, then drop out to like a chugging style tracked harmonic. Perry howling over the cacophony is icing on the shimmery, thumping, psychedelic rocker. It goes into the soaring guitar pickup cutoff switch. <laughs> Choppy mayhem before the, that middle eight brings it down with that strummy rhythm. And Chris Cheney providing a counter melodic bass line slinks along in like spurts. And a dreamy Perry crooning over it, like icing again. Then a frenetic, screaming Navarro solo that's short and sweet before falling back into a one-more-go-around, crashed into a reverb-coated, silicone-slick ending. Good intro to what we should expect for this album, this little journey. Like you said, we get some weird warbling noises, that saw thing, <laughs> and Perry Farrell shouts, here we go, though it sure doesn't sound like stop from Ritual. Here we go! This is noticeably different. And then it becomes a basic riff rocker at first. I was taken aback because it didn't sound like Jane's Addiction when I first heard this. I mean, Dave Navarro's riff is solid and I like it, but Stephen Perkins' drum beat is basic and straightforward, unusual for him, and Chris Cheney's bass just follows the riff. The production is also big and reverbed, and with Bob Ezrin at the helm, that shouldn't be surprising. But as the song develops, there are keyboards that bring the weirdness I was expecting and a spacey breakdown with clean guitar strums that reassures me that, okay, it's still that band. Farrell's vocals are still high, but they lack some punch. I, I, he's older here, and I, I guess I can't reasonably expect the manic energy of his youth. Navarro's main guitar solo is phased and tasty as fuck. He hasn't lost a step, it seems. He even has a short slide solo earlier on in the track that works. I interpret the lyrics to be about wealthy people in power who wield that power over the poor and weak and will even send them to war over maintaining that power with shady business deals and soaring interests. It's an old concept that money is king and the elite's true natures are revealed when you see how they treat those less fortunate. It took a couple of listens, but I came around on this song. I really dig it now. This was the second single from the album that reached number 30 on the U.S. Billboard Alternative Airplay chart. Wherever that is. Whatever that, whatever the fuck that is. The next track is the title track, Strays, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, Aaron Embry, and David J. your thoughts cheney is channeling eric avery on this baseline to me perry's voice seems weary more seasoned like you were saying he's older and he sounds it he still got some piss and vinegar left 
Perry was always the most engaging guy who ever hit you up for some change, don't you think? This guy had stories to tell. What he saw on the streets about drugs, hookers, losing his mom, or a good friend to drugs, or even a good menage a trois. So when he starts out with how the road, it fades away, and how the road is getting thinner, and he's it, the whole band breaks in and throws you for this cosmic loop that feels like a tour bus ride on a spaceship, you, you listen to what these guys are saying. Holy shit balls! I love this whole intro as Navarro rings the fuck out of that single note and then rips down the neck in that pentatonic hopscotch run. Perkins jungle drumming by this point and Cheney is burbling away. Simmers behind Perry and Dave as they kind of settle into the song. Intermittent stabs like solar flares and pure power chords just spike out from this burning corona of Jane's addiction. Oh, I'm always finding trouble. And the road, it fades away. The road, it's getting thinner. It's because he's getting far, further from home, being the slut that he loves to be. Real cooperator. Yeah, it's pretty deep, man. He goes into strategy and timing on, on getting laid in the bridge. It's pretty funny if you listen to the words. Then Dave takes you on this need for speed wild ride, a solo sounding like a high speed car ride down the wrong way on the freeway, complete with a spectacular ending. D G A for you, Ray, <laughs> Ray Zimmerman fans. <laughs> the verses, they seem to bubble and slink like a snake, a little Middle Eastern sounding. Perkins is a pounding force. Perkins plays lead drums, don't you think? He's heavy and tribal, but dynamic at the same time. He kind of reminds me of Keith Moon in a way, but like with more finesse and control, if that makes sense. The final baseline runs that Cheney does reminds me of Avery again, but I, to tell you the truth, I think it's a little better that it, it all comes screeching to a halt like a, a car skidding into a parking spot, still smoking, smelling of gas, rubber, antifreeze. Maybe a little booze and pot, too. Stellar track. Pumps my mood. Gets me going no matter what. Fucking excellent. Like you said, Cheney's bass figure leads this off. And then we get Navarro's clean guitar licks and spooky atmospheric keyboards. Then it rocks up. And Perkins does his syncopation thing on the drums. That's a hallmark of his playing. There he is. While the sound is very dense with multiple guitar and keyboard tracks. Chaney throws in some bass slides underneath Navarro's solo, which is tracked in the left and right channels and leans heavily on the wah pedal without being excessive. Farrell navigates the swirling sound all around him, and though his voice, like you said, has matured and sounds different, he still can hit some high notes when he goes for it. Lyrically, I interpreted this to be about a guy who kind of drifts along, hitchhiking, sort of lost in the world, relying on others' kindness to get by. He knows it's a tricky and dangerous existence, one he may not always be able to maintain. The road's getting thinner, but he's canny enough to know how to play people with fake compliments and run his con on them. This track does have a classic Jane's Addiction sensibility to it. It's very solid. The following track is Just Because, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Chris Cheney.
he say? That fire alarm riff that starts this off was the first thing that I heard from this, I guess, on the radio, and I couldn't wait for the CD to come out. This song screams tight silver pants and silk shirt holding maracas, Perry Farrell. Navarro's just a wizard with these tones he's using, considering the awful applications his peers were doing with basically the same stuff he was experimenting with. Or it may have been that no one else had Bob Ezrin at the helm for their record at this time. I think he seems a really good fit for these guys, and he doesn't hamper or <laughs> kind of detract from what these guys are all about. My one complaint is that this fucking thing is totally brick-walled and very digital-sounding. This sounds almost gravelly. It's so abrasive, and it makes your ears tired kind of listening to it. But that's the recording. Whoever he's singing about, he's asking, haven't you ever done anything for someone out of the goodness of your heart without expecting anything in return? And telling them that no one loves them, but no one has to, just because. Sounds like he's teaching a lesson to a vapid, shallow individual who's got everything, but can't find love but this song's got glitter all over it navarro's metal edge guitars sound just kind of buzzes through this as cheney and perkins drive this mother into the stratosphere i love the pause and then bam it's it's they keep doing it by the end of the song bam three for three another air guitar staple i'm headbanging all the way through this this starts off with a blaring riff and develops a churning groove, with Cheney's bass line circling under Navarro's guitar as Perkins slams out his syncopated beats with some tight fills. Farrell sings many long sustained notes in the verses, and once again the sound is thick, with numerous guitar overdubs and Navarro again reaches for a guitar heroic solo. Lyrically, I interpreted this to be about a shallow, self-centered person, like you said, Lou, who only thinks of themselves and has acquired a lot of status and possessions, but lives a lonely existence because of their lack of empathy and compassion for others. This is a decent track, but man, something feels off with this record so far. This, To me, this sounds like a rock band pretending to be Jane's Addiction instead of the real thing. They've got the elements there, but the sound and the sensibilities are lacking. This was the first single from the album that reached number 72 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, the band's only appearance on that particular chart. The next track is Price I Pay, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Chris Chaney. Now I won't miss out not even one day. Lou, hit me. A slower start. Perry's getting serious. He always does the wrong thing, but he's got a good reason. The sex is sort of an intro to something completely different. Is that angular, arpeggiated rhythm guitar plucked over a steady, thudding bass line and as solid as a rock drum beat before it breaks loose and Perkins' hands start flying as Dave hits the distortion pedal and everybody's head banging up and down, jumping all over shit and just plain rocking. Rocking the fuck out. Yes, fucking more, please. This kind of has a chili peppers flavor, but I like it a lot more. The bridge brings us back down into a dreamy Perry land and he's flying low, paying later. 
He does what he wants and pays the price later. We float into a bed of programmed drums and pedal tones as Perry coos and ahs as Cheney comes back in with that anchor bass line, pulls us back down to earth. They fall back into the verse, but quickly devolve into a distorted psychedelic whale of fucking Rama freak out. Really put the song all over the place, but I'll still take it. The intro comes in with spaced out atmospheric keyboards and quiet guitar and bass with Farrell singing in his sensitive voice. And then this fades out to a wah-wah bass figure. And when the rest of the band kicks in, the tune doesn't explode. The guitar is clean. Farrell's still holding back. Then, of course, the chorus brings the distortion on a heavy back-and-forth phrase and some excellent Perkins drum fills. The breakdown emphasizes wide, spacey atmospherics again and Farrell's voice floating in the ether. And the track finishes off with a guitar solo over a slowed-down shuffle beat with Mike Finnegan's organ, far-out keyboards, and Farrell's wailing trying to drown the solo but not quite succeeding. Lyrically, our man acknowledges that he sometimes does the wrong thing. He's searching for a good time, and he does what he does because it feels right, feels good. And he's willing to face the consequences of his actions because he can't do it any other way. What exactly he's talking about? Shit. It could be anything, really. I like this track. It's solid. I'm saying solid a lot. The following track is The Riches, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, Martin Lenoble, and Aaron Embry. Dave starts this with a chugging, clean rhythm. Plays around with the theme until he introduces the riff, and then Chaney joins him with the complimentary bass line. Perry starts the verse almost scat-like in delivery as two or three other Perrys kind of punctuate his accents. The band turns up the heat and clicks on a distortion, gets closer to the boil for the chorus, and then it turns back down again for Perry's second verse. Like clockwork, the pre-chorus shifts keys crashes back in into the chorus and god damn it it's a catchy tune song crept here is expert level and it's bob that we have to thank for that i think the almost rap like middle eight is welcome not out of place really the solo is derivative of his solo style like with standing in the shower thinking i think with that scale um it's the dave navarro scale but out of nowhere comes this porno for pyro's ether-soaked change that just doesn't fit at all and makes you think like the track change. It kind of reminds me of Bugs Bunny, you know, in that episode where the evil scientists were chasing bugs and the ether bottle got cracked and they started floating in slow-mo <laughs> while they were running. And the dude's like, come back here. Um, back here, you rabbit. <laughs> Night. Nine. <laughs> he floats down the river. <laughs> he ends up underwater in his bed. <laughs> oh, 
where, what, when, why, how, who? Oh. It must have been a nightmare. Oh, yeah? That's what you think. <laughs> With the little monster. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, good tune. The intro is a quietly picked, palm-muted, clean guitar that kind of wanders around until it finds the riff that will become the chorus motif. Then it slowly builds, adding instrumentation like distorted bass, shaker percussion, and odd keyboard trills until we get the full-blown rock, the guitar taking the intro riff and making it heavy. Then out of nowhere, the song completely changes, like you're saying. The tempo slows way down. The guitar is less distorted and jangly with a chorus effect on it. And the bass walks around while Farrell adds his dreamy, psychedelic voice. And the track ends with this shitty section. The whole thing is clumsy and badly constructed. So the song is called The Riches, but our narrator finds riches not in money or the accumulation of wealth, but in the beauty and majesty of nature. A shady spot by the water, blue skies, green earth changing colors, snow-covered trees. He invites his lover to join him and live this life of riches that will see them through any hardships they might encounter. Uh, nope. Pass. The next track is Superhero. Written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Aaron Embry. What happened in I see my mind had been enabled. In the memory you overflow. I want to be your superhero. Even if I tumble fall. What do you say? It's a good riff. Burbling bass, mimicking the guitar riff. Two different Perry's in my cans. Straight ahead rocker. A little more over, overproduced than I'd like. But it sounds like they're having fun recording it. Perkins stays in the pocket. Nothing flashy. If I could say there was something not flashy about this. It's got a classic Jane's groove. Same swing as standing in the shower thinking. Another one. I, I guess they had it on the brain. It's another good tune though. I never watched Entourage, but I think they used this as the theme. Was never a Jeremy Pivens fan. Yeah, this rides on a heavy groove with rumbling bass, Perkins' patented syncopated beat, and a buzzing guitar that sounds like a swarm of angry hornets. Then it transitions to a weak ascending chorus section with low saxophone farts played by Scott Page and female backing vocals from Kim Hall and Deanna Brooks-Jackson. And of course, there are keyboards, squiggles, and effects that are becoming annoying as fuck as they seem to be on almost every track. I'm noticing that all these tracks are written by committee. They all have multiple writers. Bob Ezrin's on every track. The band seems to be consistently trying to build these background electronic soundscapes that occasionally take me out of what I always loved about this band. They're distracting me from Navarro's guitar, and that's just fucking wrong. And Farrell sounds subdued, like he's trapped in a box he's unwilling to try to bust out of, even when he sings in his higher register. The lyrics are about a guy who's into somebody. That's at least a familiar Jane's theme. He wants to be your superhero. He's going to call up everybody and tell them about it. He's going to take out the competition like they're supervillains. He's even willing to be her beck and call boy. Like you said, Lou, this was the theme song for the HBO series Entourage, which I never watched either. But man, this is the second dud track in a row for me. 
The following track is Wrong Girl, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Chris Cheney. Have it. Well, it's a funky chili pepper Dave riff, and the rest of the band sounds like they had Freaky Styley on in the car out in the lot before they went into the studio and started jamming. Uh, it's got a distinct Jane's fingerprint on it, though. Perry's delivery in the chorus goes back to the first Triple X record almost, I think. The bridge comes out of nowhere and sounds like two different ideas spliced together. It's a bit abrupt, but I like it better than the original groove when all of a sudden I've time shifted back into a Chili Peppers track and Dave goes into a wah-laden, freaky, styly Chili Pepper solo. They go through one more verse and end on a minor chord. This is not my favorite track. So Jane's Addiction get their funk on with a clean, chunky funk riff and the rhythm section keeping it moving with bass slides. I love my bass slides. The chorus section features a guitar lick very reminiscent of Led Zeppelin's The Crunge, which makes sense since this sounds far more like Zeppelin than it does James Brown to me. And like you said, Lou, I definitely hear a Chili Peppers influence here. The breakdown opens up and changes the rhythm as Perkins adds tom fills, and then we pick the pace back up for the solo section as the bass churns along and the guitar lathers up on the wah pedal as we also hear prominent organ swells. Farrell almost sounds bored as he feigns a little toughness, describing a badass chick who's not afraid to mix it up, keeping her pretty face as she participates in the violence. She likes her rough, kicking and screaming as she dances. Is this song any good? I don't know. It's okay. I don't hate it. Mm. The next track is Everybody's Friend, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, and Bob Ezrin. Last time was a fake chicken head. Now I think it must be sad. You like this one, Lou? This sounds like something off a kettle whistle or even a B-side to something off Ritual. An acoustic ballad. It's got Perry's wide-eyed, worldly optimism. Gets a little more electric toward the midsection. The solo has that George Harrison-like double stops that are, it's a nice little nod to the Beatles. Uh, Good tune. And uh, how a ballad should be done. I wondered if we were going to get an acoustic track, and this is a good one. The basis of the track is folky acoustic guitar, but as it progresses, it does get built up with electric guitar, a complimentary bass part, and the drums make a slight appearance with the kick drum and shakers. Of course, Bob Esmond is producing this, so you know he's going to throw an orchestral element in this, arranged by Liana Stereos. I dig Navarro's tasteful solo spots, and I like Farrell's restrained and melancholic vocal melodies. 
The lyrics lament someone the narrator cares about who goes away. I read that it could be referencing original Jane's bassist Eric Avery, but it could be anyone, really. It's your interpretation. I've always liked it when this band does this kind of stuff, and this is one of my favorite tracks on the record. I really dig this one. The following track is Suffer Some, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Martin Lenoble. Let's do it. This sounds like classic Janes, too. It is classic Janes. This was actually written. They were doing this back in 87. I don't get what people are bitching about with this record. I mean, I kind of do with the, with the production. But every tune so far would have made it a previous Janes record had the production not had Bob Ezrin's fingerprints all over it. If Dave Jordan produced this, I bet it would be the big four albums, not the big three for this band. The descending chorus chord progression gets my head moving. Then it morphs into a trippy bridge that dumps into the original riff. Solo, chorus, and out. Jane's Addiction formula number one. There's nothing new here, but it's still pretty fucking cool. This tries to marry the funk to the rock again, and it comes off like an average Red Hot Chili Peppers tune to me. With the stuttering funk riffs, the bass attempting a funk groove, and the drums adding little flourishes to make things rhythmically interesting. The chorus lets Chaney explore a little with the bass, but he's no flea, while Navarro keeps riding the funk train. Then the breakdown switches to a slowed-down psychedelic vibe. The spacey keyboards take prominence again in their ghostly floating backing vocals while Farrell wails. Navarro's solo shows off a little of his shredding chops and is well done. And lyrically, it's about a woman who becomes a junkie and how it negatively affects her life, losing her friends and young daughter in the process. She falls so deep into the addiction that she's just gone, worse than murder, heading towards death and isolating herself. This tune is okay, but it feels clunky to me. It feels forced. That's why it was a leftover. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The penultimate track is Hypersonic. Written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Martin Lenoble. All right, Lou, let's have it. Perkins kicks it into high gear with this ludicrously fast marching beat. Who the hell does a marching beat in rock and roll and makes it sound good? (laughs) This guy. Dave's flanged out ringing chords and an army of Perry's deliver the verses while Perkins and Cheney are paving the fucking road behind them, chugging like a freight train. And you guessed it, a trippy break. Then back into the battering freight train. They slow it up and get plodding and then put the pedal to the metal again, jerking, lurching down the tracks and 
multiple parries, croon the chorus all the way to a scream and a cut finish. Awesome fucking track. <laughs> uh, more weird synths. Perkins playing a busy drum pattern, blurry guitar phrases, minimal bass line. Pharaoh's half-hearted vocals dunked in echoed effects. This is a clusterfuck of a song that originally was tapped to be the title track of this album before the whole thing went in for remixing. Fuck me. Perry Farrell says, go green. Renewable energy is the way to go, man. We need to untangle ourselves from oil dependence and stick it to the terrorists. We're looking ahead to the future. Ugh, there is nothing for me to grasp onto here. Is this supposed to be art rock or some shit? Now, Jane's Addiction always had an arty bent to them. It's part of what made them different and cool. It made them stand out back in the day. But this is just the equivalent of sonic mush. No substance. Fuck this. It's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the final track, To Match the Sun, written by Perry Farrell, Dave Navarro, Stephen Perkins, Bob Ezrin, and Martin Lenoble. How about this last one, Lou? If every band used keys like they used them on this record, I'd never complain about keyboards. The weird ethereal intro brings us a melodic Perry in his lower range, harmonizing with himself as he warns us, here it comes. The band crashes in with a mid-tempo power rocker, complete with ringing power chords and a good drenching of reverb. The ow! chanting to Nasty Perry, growling out the verses, changing up his delivery from soft to gravelly. His personality kind of shines through in this song. He's definitely got a rock god complex. They both do. Dave and Perry's interplay, one-upping each other sonically and personality-wise, is like a tug-of-war with these two. Something about the key change here kind of drops something in my chest, gives me goosebumps, and makes my chest warm. I'm serious gives me a little woody sonically the core drop just it does it makes my eyes water this is seriously up there with three days and obvious is one of my favorite fucking tunes this band does everything about it is perfect perfect ending to an almost perfect album (laughs) look at your face love this fucking song (laughs) how dare you compare this to three days not compare it just it's up there i'm I'm just kidding if every band used keyboards like this band does on this album i would never listen to music again once again we get spaced out and tinkling atmospheric keyboards for the intro as navarro's chiming guitar fades in and pharaoh sings all over it like some kind of disinterested deity then it goes off into a straight ahead riff rocker much like the first track i actually dig the riff but pharaoh still sounds off where your balls go son 
Then it's like, wait a minute, get back over here. And the track lurches back into the psychedelic soup for the chorus. And I actually wrote this down, Lou. The track plays like tug of war between the two sections. It's a rocker. It's arty psychedelia. Less filling. Tastes great. And then, of course, we change up again to kind of blend the two styles for the outro. The chocolate and peanut butter have come together to make a Reese's cup. Isn't that yummy? Perry Farrell's fucking at dusk, timing it with the setting of the sun. That does, yeah, that's how you do it. And he really digs this chick, so much so that he's willing to get hitched, start a family. What do you say, princess? Can Perry be your prince? Once again, for me, this has some cool shit in it, but it doesn't fully float my boat. I'm left with my hand down my pants at half-mast. Now that the track by track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a stray that got left on the side of the road and never got picked up. Lou, what are your final thoughts on strays? Chris Cheney had big shoes to fill. Eric Avery wasn't a phenomenal bass player, but he was distinct and unique. And he wrote a lot of the grooves for the original lineup, and his fingerprint is noticed and missed. That said, Cheney's no slouch, and he fits the bill rather well. And the purest old-school Jane's fans were, I think, unfairly judging the dude. I think he does a great job with these songs, and he does an awesome job live with them. There's definitely a chemistry that's different from the original Jane's, but still a welcome listen in my book. Fuck the purest. This shit's awesome. When Dave Navarro switched to PRS guitars, something got sucked out of the soul of his playing. You were saying it about Perry. I'm, I'm saying it about Dave. He's still the great Dave Navarro of the past. It's just that it's a, a little more compressed and modeled, not as much feel. They're the same notes. It's just something's lost in the amplification. But that said... I don't have, personally don't have any skippers or losers on this record. Maybe suffer some. There's only one song that's marginally, it feels like filler, and that's it. And there's not even a fade out in all 11 songs. I have nothing really to complain about other than the brick-walled sound that it was mastered with due to the time that it was released. It was the 2000s. The record companies were making them do it because they wanted it louder than the last guy on the radio. That said, I love this whole record. I'm giving it a 4.75. It's almost a perfect album that got a bit too glossy. The worst part of this record is the cover. Having three other albums with stellar artwork by Perry, this glossy pinup shot of the band seems contrived and not representative of what the band's really about. But it's a good indicator on what you're going to find on this album, which is a glossy sheen Jane's addiction. It was, it was more of a, a pre-packaged Jane's addiction. You're right. It is, but it still rocks hard in my book. After the original incarnation of Jane's addiction broke up in 1991, the band reunited twice to do tours with two different bass players. Once in 1997 with flea from the red hot chili peppers. And again in 2001 with Martin Lenoble from Perry Farrell's side project porno for pyros. Following the success of the 2001 tour, the band decided to record a new album with producer Bob Ezrin, known for his work with Alice Cooper, Kiss, and Pink Floyd. They entered the studio in 2002 with Ezrin and producer Brian Virtue, recording as a band for the first time in 10 years. And halfway through the recording process, Lenoble was fired by Farrell, ostensibly for not performing up to standard. 
he was replaced by Chris Chaney, who re-recorded Lenoble's parts. The songs were a mix of older and new material, and the original album cover that was designed by Storm Thorgerson of Hypnosis was rejected in favor of that lousy band photo. When it was released, Strays was a critical and commercial success, and Jane's Addiction went on an extensive tour in 2003 to support it, including headlining a reincarnated Lollapalooza festival. Like I said earlier, I couldn't be bothered with this when it came out. I disliked the alternative rock and alternative metal scenes in the 90s that Jane's Addiction inspired and helped pave the way for, and I smelled an attempt to cash in on nostalgia. Tons of big-name groups reunited to make the big money at the time, and I wasn't a big enough fan to get on the bandwagon with this band. Listening to it now, yeah, there's some stuff for me to like. Dave Navarro can still lay down some meaty riffs and tasty leads, although I do agree with, you, with what you said, Lou, about him. He's off, too. Just not as much as some other people, in my opinion. Stephen Perkins is and will always be a cool-ass drummer. But there's something missing with these tunes. That free-flowing manic magic of the original band is completely absent. And Perry Farrell is not bringing it. He sounds caged, uninspired. The lyrics are supposedly more mature, and that sucks. Where's the zonked-out poetry of the bizarre and the freaks that marked his best work? And the music goes through the motions in places. Sure, it has the musical elements of a Jane's Addiction record, but the essential and tangible chemistry that made this band so special is not present. Maybe they're missing Eric Avery. Maybe the long layoff took their edge away. I don't know. And in my opinion, unlike you, Lou, Bob Ezrin was not a good choice as producer for these guys. Oh yeah, this sounds like a Bob Ezrin album. It's got his fingerprints all over the motherfucker, with a glossy sheen and added bells and whistles that mark his production style. But all the edges are dulled. The sense of danger and adventure is curbed. This is a mainstream rock Jane's Addiction album, and though in many ways it has the surface sonics of old, the sense and the spirit of yours is missed by a mile. Now that said, there are bits in most of these tracks I dig. Lou, you sent me a version of this album when it was going to be called Hypersonic that had a much different and raw mix. And dude, it sounded way better to me. I wish they'd gone with that version. But as it is, I give Strays a two and a half. And on the bright side, this takes nothing away from nothing shocking and ritual Delo habitual. To me, this is just a different band. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. And I'm Lou. See ya! Jane says, what happened to this band? Nighty night. Nighty night. It's the best thing of the whole episode right there. <laughs> <laughs>
boy, this is going to piss me off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. There's going to be all kinds of background noise. <laughs> the fucking dog behind me is chewing on shit. <laughs> Oh, wow. the Arizona. Fucking. Right. I got a double pop here. <laughs> I don't care. I, I don't hear anything coming from your way. All right, good. Mm-hmm. All right, ready to do this? Sure. Yeah, all right, here we go. Sorry. I cannot say this guy's name. I bit my tongue fucking earlier today, <laughs> and now I have this fucking massive tongue that I'm, like, yeah. fighting while I'm trying to do this. Yep. Complete with ringing power chords and a good drenching of reverb. Reverb? Reverb. 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 Complete, 